they recognized that it was God who made them sufficient as ministers, as teachers, as preachers, as evangelists, as miracle workers, as apostles, as followers of Jesus Christ. Whatever we might find or think the category that we might place ourselves in, our sufficiency comes from God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Alright, it's good to study the Word of God and uh, I've so enjoyed going through First and Second Corinthians with you. The church itself in First and Second Corinthians, we discovered that they had challenges. Some of the challenges they brought on themselves from within the fellowship. They created the issues that were going on at their fellowship, but also some of the challenges came from the outside, from other people coming in. We get a little glimpse of that in our study today, that it was those who had come from the outside. And then some of the challenges that was in the church itself came as a result of the traditions that they had grown accustomed to. And we find that even today, traditions can be a challenge for any church. Traditions can get us stuck. Pastor Chuck used to say this quite a bit, that sometimes we can get stuck in a rut. But if you stay in that rut long enough, it'll become a grave that you can never get out of it. So sometimes we get stuck in a rut and you, need some, you can get out of that rut all on your own. At other times, you'll get stuck in a rut and you need a brother or sister to come alongside to help you out. But again, if you stay there long enough, it can become a grave and you never get out. And we find that, I believe, a sense of that being played out here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul referred to the veiled faces of the Jews that they actually found themselves in a place that they got stuck in the Mosaic law, trying to follow in obedience to the Mosaic law. They actually uh, ended up veiling their faces to the truth of the word of God and the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at a study that I titled Unveiled Faces from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we have discovered in our study in 1 Corinthians that the church there in Corinth, back in 1 Corinthians, we discovered that they had become a divided church. They actually had divided over 
those who had served them, the preachers, the evangelists like Paul, Apollos, Peter, and some even saying by the work of the Spirit of Christ himself. But they were dividing over preachers instead of uniting under Christ. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions that false apostles whom he called deceitful workers in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, They were deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, that they came into the fellowship itself. They were false teachers, false preachers, false evangelists, false apostles, false miracle workers, all of these things plaguing the first century church. And I have to tell you that this continues to be true to this day, that there are those who are going about in the Lord's church today, and I'm not saying specifically here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, but the church at large, there are those who are these deceitful workers. They transform themselves into workers of Christ, we might say, but it's merely a guise of serving Jesus. In reality, they're attempting to serve themselves and they're using the church in the process. This is something that Paul warned, warned the elders of Ephesus about. We learned this in Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, where Paul said the last time that he gathered the elders of Ephesus together, Paul understanding by the Spirit of the Lord that he would never see their face again. He said, Acts 20, verses 29 and 30, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. And so it was a situation that Paul is confronting in his epistles to the early church. He mentioned it to the church and the elders of Ephesus. He's writing about it here in 2 Corinthians once again. And apparently false teachers had found their way into the church of Corinth because the Corinthian believers began to question Paul's authority. They questioned Paul's missionary team. The men like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Titus and Luke who had served their church faithfully, now they had come under question because of these savage wolves, because of these deceitful brethren who had come in. And Paul then defends their position in the church of Christ and their work, which they had accomplished in Corinth. We're going to see a little bit of that defense here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As I said, I titled this Unveiled Faces, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I broke it into four sections. We're going to read our commendation, verses 1 through 3, our sufficiency, verses 4 through 6, our glory, verses 7 through 11, and our liberty, verses 12 through 18. I'll read our first point, it's verses 1 through 3, and then I'll ask the Lord to bless the teaching of his word. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1 says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, 
of the heart. And Father, I pray that you would just, by the Spirit of the living God, Lord, open your word to us today. The things that Paul wrote about concerning the church there in Corinth during the first century, often many of these things are applicable to the church of the 21st century, even to our church. So, Lord, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to this church. This day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our commendation, they were being commended, and he asked that question in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Do we have to do this again? Now, we learn in the book of Acts, if you go back to Acts chapter 15, there were at that time, Acts chapter 15 is all about the Jerusalem council that met because there were some brethren that came up from Judea into the church of Antioch that was largely Gentile church in Antioch. And the brethren from Judea, they were telling the Gentile believers in Jesus Christ that they weren't actually saved unless they would follow the Mosaic law, that they had to be circumcised, that they had to follow the Mosaic law. So they had questions, and for the church in Antioch, they wanted to know, is this true, what you're telling us? Do we really need to follow the Mosaic law? Do we, our men have to be circumcised in order to really follow Jesus Christ, in order to be saved? And so they sent a team down to Jerusalem, and there was a council that's recorded in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas was among the men who went to testify of the work that the Lord was doing among the Gentiles. And they were also those from Judea who were saying that uh, the Judaizers, we would call them those men who were saying that the Gentiles needed to conform to Judaism in order to truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. It was a legitimate question for the first century church. And the answer came that they did not need to conform to Judaism at all, that they needed to simply believe and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. The church did ask that they would abstain from certain things like sexual immorality, uh, the consuming of blood. So there were a few uh, things that were put on them, but the church gladly received these things from them. Well, I mention all this because once the Jerusalem Council decided the need, they by letter sent Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas back to Antioch with the letter to say, this is what the church has decided here in Jerusalem. And so they were sent by letter. Also in Acts 15, 40, after they delivered the letter to the church in Antioch of the decision of the Jerusalem council, Paul wanted to go on another missionary journey. And it tells us in Acts 15, 40, that as Paul and Silas went forth on that second missionary journey, that they were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And no doubt they carried letters of commendation. They went forth with their letters as they went forth to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, they, were, they went forth with letters from the church of Jerusalem, talking about the decision of the Jerusalem council, but also from the church of Antioch, that they were commended to the service of the Lord, that which they were doing. 
And perhaps when Paul and Silas and Timothy and the others arrived at Corinth the very first time, they presented these letters, these documents they carried with them. But after spending a year and a half there in Corinth ministering to the body of Christ, Paul says, we do not need letters of commendation any longer. It speaks about the very lives that he saw the work that God was doing in the church itself. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 17, we looked at this last week, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Paul said, we're not peddling the word of God. We don't need letters of commendation because you church have become our letter. It has been written on the very hearts of each of you. In verses two and three, he says, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. You are our epistle. Such letters, Paul argues here, were no longer necessary because the very lives of the Corinthian believers spoke louder than any letter could have spoken at that point. In other words, Paul was saying, truly, our actions should speak louder than any written word by man. 1 John 3.18 tells us, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, we can write statements like we have of our church motto that's behind us, but believe and receive, grow and go. We can write statements that we have in the back of our bulletin that we get every week. And we hardly ever read this. We look at this in the back of the bulletin and we think this is for the visitors to figure out who we are when they come in. And so when the visitors come in and they start looking over the bulletin and they see on the back this welcome to them, there's the we believe statements that are listed here. The statements go like this. We believe worship of God should be spiritual. Therefore, we remain flexible so the Holy Spirit may direct our worship. We believe worship of God should be inspirational. Therefore, we have a great place to music in our worship. We believe the worship of God should be intelligent. Therefore, in our service, we emphasize Bible teaching so God may instruct us in how he should be worshiped. And we believe the worship of God should be fruitful. Therefore, we look for his love in our lives as the greatest evidence that we are truly worshiping God. The we believes that we find not only at this Calvary Chapel, but in Calvary Chapels across our country, they're not just statements that we have in the back of our bulletins, but they are to represent the Calvary Chapel movement. But if we don't follow the we believe statements, then they really don't represent anything at all. They should be written upon our hearts. We should conduct ourselves in those things that we actually stand upon and say that we believe. So it's a bit of the conduct, not just as 
John wrote in 1 John 3.18, not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, the actions of how we conduct ourselves in this life. When Paul's apostleship was in question, here he addressed in 1 Corinthians, he responded to them in 1 Corinthians 9 verses 1 and 2, he argued, he said, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. To the Corinthians, Paul said, you are the seal of my apostleship. You are the written letters written upon your heart. Thus, the Corinthian believers were the work, rather the seal of his apostleship, not written with ink on tablets of stone, but written by the spirit of the living God on tablets of their hearts, on the tablet of our flesh. Well, I'm sure you get the connection when he talks about the tablets of stone. There's a clear reference to the Ten Commandments here, and it will continue to be so as we go through 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Ten Commandments that were written by God and given to Moses for the children of Israel, these stone tablets spoke about the covenant relationship that Israel had with their God. In Exodus 24, 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and there I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I've written that you may teach them. So the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, as they're known, these ten laws that God gave to Israel shortly after they left Exodus, the Ten Commandments essentially for the Jews have been summed up. They had taken Ten Commandments of the Lord and they summed them up in 613 do's and don'ts. They had a don't for every day of the year, something we shouldn't do. 613 laws that they summed up in the Old Testament. And the purpose of the Ten Commandments was to force the people to realize that they cannot perfectly obey the law of God, that we need God's mercy and grace. But Paul argues that the epistle written by the Spirit of God on tablets of our heart refers to the new work that God was doing through Jesus Christ, for it is through Jesus's death, his burial and his resurrection that God made a new way to obtain that mercy and grace. Hebrews ten sixteen tells us this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. That's actually Hebrews ten sixteen, but quoting from Jeremiah 31 33. So God prophesied in the Old Testament. It was confirmed in the New Testament that I am going to do a new work. It's not going to be written on tablets of stone with a pen of ink, but by the spirit of the living God on the tablets of our hearts and tablets of flesh. So the condemnation of faith comes by the spirit of the living God upon all those who believe. But our sufficiency. We pick up in verses four through six. He says, and we have such trust through Christ 
toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Our sufficiency, not self-sufficient, verses 4 and 5, we find that, as Paul said, we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything being as from ourselves. We have this trust, we have this reliance, this confidence in Jesus Christ that our sufficiency, it's a word that he uses several times in verses four through six, the sufficiency, and it has, uh, it's the same base Greek word that maybe has different endings on it as you go through the original Greek here. But it speaks about the sufficiency that is not of ourselves, but a sufficiency that is based upon God himself. It is God who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Again, comparing the old to the new. The reliance that they had as believers through Jesus Christ toward God. It speaks about that which we understand that no one is able to get to God apart from placing their faith in Jesus Christ. There are those who in this life attempt to work their way to God. In the Old Testament, they took the Ten Commandments and based upon following the Ten Commandments, and as we know from the Gospels themselves, as one came to Jesus Christ once and asked him, saying, Lord, which is the great commandments? What are the, the commandments that are really necessary for us to follow? You know, the ones that get us into heaven. And we have that mindset quite often in this life that we ourselves can, by our own sufficiency, find our way to heaven or get to God. But this is apart from anything of ourselves. We have to look to Jesus. We have to place our faith in Jesus. It's Jesus who said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. So not self-sufficient, but God-sufficient. Picking up in verse 5, the very end of that verse again. But our sufficiency is from God. Verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul understood that their sufficiency came from God. Paul and his ministry team knew that they were really inadequate for the work that Paul had set before them, uh, the Lord had set before them. But they also knew that whatever they lacked, that God was able to supply. I have to tell you that I often feel inadequate for the work of the Lord that is set before me. And in some ways, I'm glad I feel inadequate for the work. Because when we reach that point in our own flesh where we feel like, man, we got this Christian thing figured out, every little spot of it, I have to tell you that you're probably reached a point of being in trouble. 
because suddenly you're depending on your own sufficiency rather than depending on God. You're thinking self-sufficiency versus God's sufficiency. Second Corinthians 12, 9, Paul would say, uh, the Lord speaking to Paul saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we feel like we're not sufficient for the work that's ahead of us, that we're too weak to do the work that God would have us to accomplish in the day and age that we live in, whatever that work might be, we need to lean upon the words of Jesus to Paul himself, where Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When we are weak, Jesus is made strong. Lord, we are living in challenging days. Lord, be with us, Lord, that we turn our heart toward you, look to you always for our help, for our strength, that we might find your peace. And Lord, where there is not peace today, Lord, let your spirit of peace come upon the heart, Lord, who is uh, struggling. Even this hour, Lord, let your peace rest upon them. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let God